0: welcome to another episode of in the ring with acacia courtney i hope everyone had a wonderful valentine's day this weekend they got to celebrate love that you're not too cold or snowed in if you're in the northeast just think about it that the warm weather is coming not going it's in our future the warm weather wherever you are So on today's episode of In the Ring, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you being here uh, with me and listening. We're talking about the Kentucky Derby Trail a little bit. The three-year-olds are starting to make some big impressions. We're right in the midst of a lot of the big prep races around the country. My guest today will be talking about some of the clues that you can get from the pedigree and breeding side of things. I really think it's a a fascinating topic and conversation, and I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed putting this together. I feel like I need a very special introduction for this week's first guest. The list of accolades that goes with this individual is very long, a contributor to At the Races, Sky Sports, podcast host extraordinaire, best-selling author of a multitude of different books. I am so pleased to welcome my friend, Peter Thomas Fornital to join the show today. Pete, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Well, thank you, Acacia. That was a... A glowing uh, and only somewhat deserved uh, intro. I, I appreciate it very much and really appreciate the job you've been doing, uh, making this In the Ring podcast your own. When we started this up uh, and it was, you know, JK, me and Sean Tugel making our way through podcast about the breeding and sales industry. I loved doing it. It was like a, an adult education course every mm-hmm. week, getting to talk to all these smart people. And Eventually, with everything else we have going on, it it fell by the wayside a little bit mid-pandemic, and what a great way to bring it back better than ever. You've been doing a fantastic job, not only covering all the goings-on in the industry, but also with your interviews. I've been listening every week, and uh, keep up the fantastic work.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And it's been fun for me too, as you mentioned. I really feel like every single week that I do this show, whoever I talk to, I learn something. And it's about a topic that I enjoy and I feel like I already know something about, but I, I feel like I learn something every week. And I I think that's the beauty of just horse racing in general, right? That's something we talk about often. It's one thing that people that are, are nerds and, and uh, degenerates at the core, like we are, I think, <laughs> enjoy is that you're always learning with it
1: that's it that's the i couldn't have said it better it's one (laughs) of the things that that keeps you going in the game no matter which side of it you're on there's always more you can be learning and if you're as far as gambling goes and i'm sure this is true in the bloodstock business as well if you're not learning if you're not actively moving forward Mm -hmm. you're falling behind so that's why i think podcasts like yours and the ability to get looks at into the brains of key players in the industry you can't help but learn something listening to smart people talk about their craft. And and that's one of the things we've tried to touch on in all aspects of the In the Money Media Network.
0: And In the Money Media has really grown so much. I think just over the past, like, month and a half it seems you've expanded with more shows big names in the industry joining on different types of shows as well as you mentioned the in the ring concept is not a new concept i'm just on my sixth episode um doing this show and kind of developing it a little bit but it's something that's been in place for a while maggie wolfendale's joined the team with aftercare you have michelle Yu, um and uh, and billy Koch talking about the owner's experience you have the the one's in place already with the gambling aspect. Talk a little bit about what that's been in adding these new shows to in the money media and what kind of the overarching goal is with the program that you and Jonathan Kinchin have.
1: We're hoping to continue to create different strands of daily horse racing content, touching every portion of the industry. And we feel like they're just, there's a ton of stuff out there, obviously, but by creating a company and housing it under one roof, I feel like we can present some of the best horse racing content out there in a really streamlined way. And we try to get into the player developmental side of things with uh, the fantastic work Matt Bernier does on his mm-hmm. show and uh, Spencer luganbuhl over at Redboard Rewind. We love our partnership with Nick Luck. I feel like Especially if you're an American bloodstock industry person, you want to follow Mm -hmm. everything going on in the racing world. Uh, 20 to 30 minutes a day, you can keep on top of everything and basically feel like an insider uh, just spending that 20 minutes a day listening to Nick. So the idea is to just keep expanding into areas of the business that are important to us. Obviously, Maggie's show off track, getting into the aftercare side of things, a topic I know near and dear to you that you've covered Mm -hmm. uh, very well on these airwaves before, to be able to promote some of those stories and just be a little bit of a one-stop shop. And we're trying not to choose between is this uh, Are these podcasts for horse players? Are these podcasts for horse racing industry people? We want to be both and we want to show the cross-pollination of both sides of things because I think we recognize uh, that the, the health of this game uh, in many ways depends on, on gambling and on the horse ship uh, on the horse ownership experience as well. And all the people who uh, devote their lives to this industry, we, we hope there's something for everyone on here.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I love so much about being part of this team and in racing in general too. I think you really see that, that, whatever aspect you're most interested in, you can find something that you associate with. I think one of the beautiful things that I love about the game so much is those stories that really kind of tug at your heartstrings, whether it's an aftercare story or just a kind of rags to riches type of horse story as well. And and I think um, you guys have done a great job in bringing all of that together in combination with the gambling aspect, which at the end of the day is what makes the game and the sport possible and we have to thank the betters, especially in this unique past year in the world of COVID for continuing to support racing. How has the response been for everything that you guys have done within the money media, within the industry, and maybe outside of it as well?
1: We've been overwhelmed by the support that we've received right from the very beginning. If I had sat down when we decided to do this in early what was it early 2019 and made a dream list of potential industry partners to work with. We've checked every name on the list. I mean, we, <laughs> I felt very uh, blessed to have great partners like the breeders cup, like Stronic group, like Naira, like Woodbine. They've been fantastic and uh, you know, we're just hoping that the the, the rising tide is going to continue, and and we can continue to create cool content and have a lot of fun and give out a bunch of winners while we're at it.
0: Well, we are on the In the Ring Sales and Pedigree podcast, so let's talk about things a little bit from this angle. So we stay on brand on here as <laughs> well. It's, I'm sure it's easy for us to get off a few uh, uh, tangents as well. Um, Pete, I wanted to pick your your brain a little bit. One of the themes I've found has really come up over my last few episodes is the influence of international bloodstock coming here to the U.S. And you're a U.S. analyst for Sky Sports Racing. You contribute to At The Races. I think you really have your your finger on the pulse with what's going on in the international racing scene. How have you seen international, particularly European bloodstock, influencing the racing here in the U.S.?
1: It's been a very interesting push-pull to watch Mm -hmm the stakes program for turf horses as it's developed over the last several years. And then the effect that's had, particularly that Tattersall's November sale, Mm -hmm. Uh, Nick Luck and I did a a little show previewing it last year and and it was fascinating and it was great listening to a a trainer like Chad Brown talk about how that sale has really um, changed the way that he acquires horses in, in many ways and getting to see some of these European pedigrees come over here And I think it's going to be really fascinating as time marches on to see what some of these horses do who get a chance to prove themselves and go on as stallions in the USA. I mean, I think there's a Mm -hmm. chance we're going to be looking at a wildly improved USA uh, turf breeding program as time goes on, just because we now have this pipeline to get some of these fantastic European pedigrees. And it makes sense for folks to buy them because they can, they can run for a lot of money on the green here. And, and I think we're just going to see more and more trainers looking and, and owners looking to use that sale as, as a way to improve the strength of their uh, of their barns.
0: Have you seen success from that sale in the Breeders' Cup in particular with multiple horses this year and in a couple of years past as well? You're very well-traveled, been to a lot of big international races. Are there any horses that you are very excited to see kind of coming over here to the U.S., maybe some big stallions that you followed internationally as well in particular?
1: Oh, it's a great question. I... I'm always trying to pay attention to what's going on in the group one races Mm -hmm. over in uh, in the UK and Ireland and just looking for horses who you think are going to be good prospects to come over and eventually run in the USA. It doesn't always work out. I mean, I remember uh, from when he won at Ascot, uh, a horse like uh, without parole. I was just Mm -hmm. this horse is going to win a grade one in North America and he's come close. Hasn't quite happened yet, but it's always fun throughout the season to try to pick and choose the ones that you think might do well in the USA. My my, my current uh, folder of horses like that, uh, pretty empty given the time of the season we're in, but it's definitely something I, mm-hmm. I look at. And one of the best ways to do it, I think, is to just pay attention to what's going on with ground conditions. And when you can find mm-hmm. a year like where you have an asket that has U.S. much more USA-type turf, then another year, as it was in that without parole year, that can be really fertile ground to try to pick out horses, You know, maybe some two-year-olds to come for the Breeders' Cup or, or an older horse that's eventually going to be able to make noise in a race like the, the Breeders' Cup mile.
0: As you said, this time of year, maybe not so much that. Uh, We'll be looking ahead to the Breeders' Cup as we saw the Euros, particularly in the turf races, really dominate this year's past uh, Breeders' Cup at Keeneland. Um, This time of year, though, we're looking uh, ahead to Saudi Arabia and Dubai as far as the international racing and U.S. horses that are potentially going to go over there. How do you tackle those types of international racing, I guess, from a handicapping perspective and also from the perspective of a fan?
1: I love them as a fan. I think they mm-hmm. occasionally provide great gambling opportunities, especially if you have the opportunity to do a little bit of arbitrage between what's going on on the tote and what might be going on on the the betting exchanges and or with the bookies. I think back to Dubai, oh gosh, maybe three years ago now, when long on value Mm-hmm. With some insane price, like a hundred to one, and I just just started texting random people in England. Hey, you think you could log on to Betfair and uh, and, uh, and make a little wager for me here? <laughs> I, I mean, this is a horse that I am going to guess was five to two in the tote market. So it, it's pretty interesting when you can um, find those kind of uh, and they go they'll work occasionally in the other direction as well. You can find those kind of opportunities. Tarnawa actually a pretty great example of that. Mm. Who ended off going off at a, a tremendous. Um, overlay on the, on the tote compared to the prices uh, with the bookies. I think nine to two with the tote versus, I I don't think anything farther out than seven to two, maybe more like three to one with the bookies. And I Mm -hmm. I'm now really rambling, but I will mention Tarnawa as one who I am hoping we'll get to see at the Breeders' Cup uh, one more time. Exciting news Mm -hmm. that she's uh, staying in training this year, but in terms of approaching those races, this is a case and, and I'm like this a lot in racing. I get it. Some people are much better off doing all their work, by themselves. And uh, one of my great friends and mentors in racing, the writer, William Murray, used to say that your ears can be your worst enemy in this game. But Mm -hmm. for me, a little help from your friends can go a long way. So if I'm looking at races in uh, Dubai or Hong Kong, I'm going to reach out to friends who follow those circuits on a regular basis. And I'm going to share what I know about the USA contingent and try to get their opinions on some of their local horses, and and find a way to come up with an overall assessment of what those fields are going to look like, so you don't just be a homer. That that can get a little bit mm-hmm. dangerous when you're looking at uh, at foreign races.
0: Yeah, I think important to understand the whole picture, so to speak. And I think that's something we run into often at the Breeders' Cup with maybe a little bit of hesitancy to either bet on or, or dive a little bit deeper into some of the European contingent that's there. Not only the Breeders' Cup, but maybe not so much this past year because of COVID. But when we do see horses from other countries shipping in for some of the big races, um, you can really, I think, get a much better sense in, in not being afraid to look at those international runners And the same case when we have have U.S. horses going overseas as well.
1: Trying to figure out how the form stacks up is super tricky, but I find it a very fun puzzle to try to solve. And over the years, I've tried to come up with various different figure conversions and other means of making evaluations so that you can try to compare apples to apples instead of apples to oranges. Doesn't always work out. A great <laughs> example from the the turf sprint at this year's Breeders' Cup with uh, with with Glass Slipper who mm-hmm. I had just stubbornly decided that the that race was not going to be run to suit the European style so even though I had data telling me that that uh, that she was the, the fastest horse in that race. I decided to ignore it and let a, let a 12 to one winner go by the wayside. But just going through, even though you're obviously not always going to be right, just going through the exercise of trying to, to figure that out is a lot of fun. And it can also be profitable because I think a lot of people are a little bit more inclined to, to throw up their hands or just use all the euros or whatever and not do the work that makes you know, the Tarnawas of the world look like the standouts that they are.
0: There's that fun puzzle we were talking about again as far as the racing does go and speaking of a puzzle this time of year we are now i'd say about knee deep into the kentucky derby prep season and i am the type of person that i like to wait until the last possible minute to make picks and and make any detailed decisions about the runners because so much can happen between now and then but um, big weekend again yesterday particularly at the fairgrounds for kentucky derby prep season a lot coming up in the weeks to come leading up to the first saturday in may as we will hopefully have the kentucky derby back on the schedule where it belongs but looking at pedigree and and this time of year how do you follow these horses these three-year-olds leading into the biggest u.s race that we do have
1: I try to take it on a race by race basis and not mm-hmm. get ahead of myself for all the reasons you just laid out there. But at the same time, since getting into the the podcasting game and I've been doing a podcast of one form or another now going back to, to 2014, you mm-hmm. can't help but look ahead and, and look ahead a lot because it's great conversational fodder. The, this yeah. is the race as everybody knows that, uh, gets the most attention in, in all of American racing and, and you, you can't help but but start looking ahead to it and trying to come up with different um, angles or ideas. One thing that's helped me uh, enjoy doing that work and keeping it from being so academic is looking into futures markets. Uh, you know, obviously there's the pool, future betting, but future betting works best when it's fixed odds. And being able to look at the prices and follow along. I'm now doing a little column for at the where I'm examining the market week to week. And, you know, that's a thing going forward. And, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, the progression of, of fixed odds wagering in the U S isn't happening as quickly as I'd, I'd like it to, but I think it's going to be a, a cool way to market the sport in general. Cause then all of a sudden it's not just an academic conversation about oh, I think, you know, this horse looks good for the Derby. It's okay, at what price is life is good, a good bet for the Derby. And, and you know, when money gets involved, it always makes things a little bit more interesting.
0: Yeah, all about that value too, which sometimes in the Kentucky Derby, there's kind of that buzz horse that you're not going to get any value on. And then it's a great place to find some prices underneath with such a big field as well.
1: No doubt about it. And looking through the these prices now, there, there's definitely some interesting There's some interesting opportunities still Um, one bookmaker uh, stubbornly, and they wouldn't let you get a big bet down on this, but one bookmaker stubbornly still has greatest honor at 25 to one. I've just got to think there's a little bit of value there.
0: I I want in on that. (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) Greatest honor, of course, winner of the Holy Bull a couple of weeks ago for Shig McGahee Leader on the the board right now with the most points is Mandaloon for Brad Cox, who won the Risen Star on Saturday. Brad Cox has the one two um, top two spots on the Kentucky Derby leaderboard with his two year old champion Essential Quality, and second now with thirty points. Um, Mandaloon by into mischief it seems the hottest stallion that everybody wants a piece of now
1: oh my god it's it's been just an unbelievable run and we've already seen that an in into mischief with uh nothing but sprinters on the damn side of the mm-hmm. pedigree going back a couple generations uh, with you know modern training methods can get the can get the mile and a quarter and This is something, you know, from interviewing Brad Cox, he said something that really changed my perspective on Kentucky Derby handicapping specifically, talking about his approach at the sales and an approach I know that uh, Liz Crow, who obviously works with him extensively shares, Mm -hmm. less, much less interested in, let's find the pedigree that says a mile and a quarter. It's looking for horses who on pedigree alone, you'd think are a mile, mile and a 16th, mile and an eighth, and through training getting them the rest of the way home. And obviously this is something that the, you know, the Baffert, uh, the B- Baffert team, Donato Lani and them uh, seem expert at as well uh, with authentic proving to be best over a mile and a quarter, something that you couldn't really gauge off the page. I think it's it's hard for me. I want to I want to downgrade these type of horses for a race like the Kentucky Derby, but I I just don't think you can do it in 2021. And I think part of it is modern training methods. And I I think the other part of it is just the way the race has changed since the advent of the point system and not having a lot of those stretch out sprinters we used to see who would really force the best horses to play their hands early and bring stamina into play. I feel like these days with modern training methods, a lot of these horses, they're they're well bred enough. If they can control the pace, they can get home. And mm-hmm. it, it makes it it makes it tricky for somebody like me who wants to say, oh no, that's a disqualifying pedigree. I just it from a betting point of view, I think that's a, a, a trap at this point.
0: Hey, you bring up such an interesting point because I was definitely one that fell into that category last year saying, "Oh, I'm I'm not going to go with authentic. I don't think he can get the distance." Looking at how he almost got beaten in the Haskell and uh, of course with the very strange year that we had, and then he goes and wins the Kentucky Derby and the mile and and the uh, Breeders' Cup Classic as well. And I think now you kind of have a stallion that was initially pictured as a one turn mile, seven furlong dirt horse. I like into mischief sprinting on the turf as well, which is kind of amazing that you have that that big expansive uh, variety as far as the distances and surfaces the offspring of one single stallion can get. I wanted to ask you, because I was thinking about it, when you look at particular stallions, like into mischief, I think is becoming like you have Tappet and these kind of breed shaping stallions. We've seen that, I think in Europe, more than anything with Galileo, where it feels like it's almost difficult now in Europe to find crosses to breed to Galileo because he's been so influential at every single level of racing.
1: It's a, a great point. And you'll, you'll see it with uh an operation like Coolmore investing in other jurisdictions, whether it's trying mm-hmm. to bring American blood to the party in the form of uh of American pharaoh and justify or um or or reaching out to, to Japan to try to get fresh fresh blood essentially to keep that dominant line going. It it's amazing. Was it the was it the arc a couple of, We've seen Galileo one, two, threes in, in so yeah. many of the of of the world's most famous races. And it is it is something that you have to imagine they think and strategize about, but I, I would imagine it falls into the good problem to have category.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um I am very curious to see how this Kentucky Derby picture does shape up. I'm also going to be speaking on this episode to Ren Carruthers. So we'll get some more insight from the Petty Geek. And you knew with the Pedigree <laughs> podcast, you had to have her on. So looking forward to picking her brain about that. But I can't let you go yet, Pete, as we talked about the Derby. The Derby always synonymous with a mint julep. And I think of Peter Thomas Fornital is synonymous with the world of cocktails. So (laughs) I had to ask you a little bit, your best cocktail tip before I let you go.
1: All right. I'll talk about the mint julep. You don't just (laughs) have to do the classic sugar and mint combination there's a way to take that drink a little bit more in the direction technically it would be more of a whiskey smash than a julep but you can you can serve it in the same way you know maybe instead of the 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 classic combo you you get a little bit of mint you muddle a little uh, maybe a little piece of orange if you had a little chunk of pineapple muddle that in the bottom of the glass. Splash some like orange liqueur, you know, maybe a little Grand Marnier, just like a quarter ounce, something like that. Keep it, keep it subtle, keep it fresh, and it'll maybe breathe new life into the, into the mint julep for you. There, there, there's one idea.
0: I have never heard the pineapple involved in that. I, I like it. I'm into it.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll drink them in Saratoga. What do you think?
0: Fantastic. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Pete, can't thank you enough. It's such a pleasure speaking with you as always. And uh, give everybody a little plug some of the things coming up on In the Money Media to look forward to.
1: Absolutely. We've got our regular lineup. You can find it all in the money podcast.com little bits about each one of the shows and all the recent episodes. If you're listening for more from the horse player side, we're trying to put out daily written handicapping content as well, covering major circuits. The idea is just to create a, a place you can go for daily horse racing information in the moneypodcast.com. a great way to check it all out
0: fantastic and uh, proud to be part of the team as well thank you so much for joining me on in the ring today cheers I'm so excited about my next guest, a dear friend and just one of the kindest humans you will ever meet on the racetrack and just everywhere in the world. The one, the only, Ren Carruthers, who is the pedigree, anything you could ever want or need to know about pedigrees, she knows it. Ren, I'm so happy to have you on the show today.
2: Oh my gosh, Acacia, that intro, I don't even know how to follow (laughs) that up. That was so, so kind. Thank you. And right back at you. I mean it, absolutely. Um, So anybody that follows you on social media
0: knows you as the petty geek. Tell me a little bit
2: about about that title. Well, it's just basically owning the fact that I go gaga over basically family trees of horses uh, before, you know, even as a child, um, I really loved tracing lineages. And uh, while other people were really impressed by celebrities, whether... I, I was never into boy bands, but you know, back in the day there was uh, was it uh, backstreet boys and things like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about celebrities at all in that regard. I was more interested in the broodmares that we had out in the paddocks and who they were related to and, and, you know, who we might be planning to breed them to. Uh, and I always found it fascinating. Um The thing is, what you're always hoping for is that what you see on paper will be reflected in the flesh, and it feels so rewarding when that is the case Mm -hmm. as a breeder and as a handicapper.
0: Now, you have a background, like you said, growing up and being surrounded by the breeding industry a little bit. Tell me about your background and how that kind of laid the foundation for the
2: passion that you have. Well, you know, actually, we were kind of a big fish in a small pond. I grew up in Michigan in a very small town and we had about 40 horses. We had four stallions and then the rest were just an assortment of mares and two-year-olds, yearlings, weanlings, whatever. Uh, so it really was up close and personal from the you know, ber- you know, selection of stock to the horses being uh, selected to, you know, for pairings and then when those foals eventually arrived being there to watch them be born and just the day-to-day. Mm. And uh, I always loved it. We'd go down to Keeneland for the sales and we'd bring a broodmare back up or something along those lines and um, my parents they actually ended up breeding two horses who ended up being regional champions uh, one of them on multiple occasions her name was Sahar and the other one was Extidian. but it's always you know because of that you you when you grow up around horses and you know this uh, mm-hmm. being around them yourself you learn so much and you respect you, you, res- you have a respect for basically the fact that you are dealing with an animal who weighs a thousand pounds or more and they have this kinsmanship with you and they could choose not to, but they choose to have that relationship. And there's just something so absolutely miraculous about that. So I've been fascinated with horses all my life. I loved the point that you brought up about the connection between
0: horse and human. And it's something that I think we talk a lot about, but it's to me, it's unique. And you have experience with a lot of different other breeds as well. But to me, the thoroughbred is so amazing in their willingness to please that that drive, that heart, that kind of intangible thing that we talk about that everybody's searching for, but you see it really on display on the racetrack and in different vocations after the racetrack, too
2: oh, definitely, I think they are the number one athlete you can have you can get a thoroughbred to do pretty much anything and the other thing that's just so fascinating as somebody who also just loves history in general, world history, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate so much the time and the thoughtfulness that has gone into just the breed itself selecting Mm -hmm. these horses for generations after generation and and you know the stud book and you know even going all the way back to bringing the darley arabian the godolphin arabian Mm -hmm. the barley turk all of it and to to have that connection spanning all the way back to the genesis of the breed when you see that horse heading postward is just awesome
0: I love seeing all of those influences come together too. And as you said, what you look on for on paper and then trying to see if it matches up in person and in the flesh as well. Um, one of the reasons we have pedigrees in the sales book and then combine it, you know, if it's a two-year-old sale, maybe with the breeze ups or things like that as well. When you are handicapping, when you're in that role, whether it's at Tampa Bay Downs or, or wherever you are, whatever track you're looking at, the Breeders' Cup, what are some of the big pedigree nuggets that you're really kind of looking for that make you excited when you find them in that research?
2: Well, I'm really excited when I see a pedigree that matches the condition. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously if I see, for example, that a horse is out of a smoke blackened mare and the race is a five furlong sprint, Uh, I I get pretty excited. I also love being able to use pedigree to see if a horse is going to move up. Maybe the horse has already run a few times on the dirt, but the horse actually has some really good grass pedigree in the background that you wouldn't otherwise uh, notice. Then you can kind of get an edge. Well, not just kind of, but you do get an edge Uh uh, with those uh, odds because, uh, you know, that's the problem. A lot of times people, and I noticed this for years, that people get hung up on sire and damn sire uh, in the past performances. And a lot of them don't want to do the extra leg work to mm. look even beyond the siblings because a mare is going to produce something different given whatever stud uh, she's bred to because you have to think of a pedigree as a puzzle piece and how it's going to fit together. And sometimes when a mare is bred to one stallion, um, you'll get one thing. And then when she's bred to another, because maybe that stallion has a common ancestor, you may get that trait reinforce and you get something else. Mm-hmm. So I love going beyond. I'll if it's a first time, uh, you know, mean special weight, I like to go in, I like to pull up the horse's catalog page if he's gone through the sale or just do the legwork. Because I don't need, a lot of people go, where do you get your uh, pedigree information? What program do you use? And I I could, honestly, yeah, I could go ahead and buy those programs so I could just pull (laughs) pull it up really easily. But I don't even know what those are a month. I think they can get relatively pretty expensive. So I just do it um the long way <laughs> a lot of the i'm with you <laughs> yeah so i you know I'll, I'll go ahead i'll do the long way and you know i'll go in and yeah it's second dam does matter third dam does matter it does and the better the female family generally the better chance a horse has as of uh bringing some class to the table and you you
0: bring up the kind of catalog page. If you go to any of the sales companies, Keeneland, Vasic Tipton, OBS, whatever it is, if you see that that horse has gone through, you're able to go there, look at their page, and then look up those horses a little bit more. I use Pedigree Query. I yeah. I look for the siblings as well, and you really can find some secret things. And I think there's still I don't know if stigma is the right word, but I think there's still a kind of oh you know she's looking at the second dam that doesn't really matter as much. For handicapping, but you can find those those hidden gems that you mentioned.
2: Oh, definitely. That's how you that's how you have to do it. Because a lot of times when you have these blank space races where it's a main special weight, and you have basically nothing much to go on other than what you're seeing there on the superficial face of it and the connection. So a lot of people just resign themselves to be like, okay, well, this trainer is a high percentage first out, so I'll go with this horse. And they miss a huge opportunity to get in on a really uh, bred in the purple type, who is just waiting in the wings to show their stuff. And you know, the other thing that's very interesting to me—you can use it in the reverse also. Because if you see a horse who has really good pedigree and didn't sell for much, you can assume that well, maybe the horse didn't scope well. Maybe there was a OCD. Uh, there has to be some reason for that. Uh, but generally speaking, a, a, a good way to do it shorthand, I like to say, mm-hmm. is you can sometimes just scan through a field. And you can see if the mare is by a premier stud. And you can already then get the sense that, okay, well, she either has black type, she's either produced black type, or there's some black type behind her. And Mm -hmm. it's a really quick way, if you don't have a sales price, if the horse never went through the ring, if it was a homebred or whatever, and it's a quick way to know that, okay, well, I need to do some more investigating because this mare is by Tappet. And, or this mirror's my Medallion d'oro, because uh, you can't get your horse to one of those boys unless there's some stakes black type behind them.
0: No, absolutely. The mares have to kind of prove themselves first, too, and I think that's a great point to bring up. How many generations typically do you go back when you're looking at a maiden special weight with a bunch of first-time starters, for instance?
2: Well, and this is the other thing, and so if there's anybody out there that, like you were saying, it's like, oh, why are you talking about second dam or third dam? Take in mind Uh, Mm -hmm. class can skip a couple generations. And so that's why it's still important to go back and look because sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, a breeder will realize that a certain line worked with this female family in the past and now they want to revitalize that in some way. But I will basically go through the five, I'll go five generations. I'll go through like Mm -hmm. that pedigree. If, If there's something there to bridge it, like I need to see at least a stakes winner somewhere in between that first dam and that fifth dam, or, you know, between... Bridging it to think that, okay, well, there might be something else that this stakes winner wasn't just an aberration that this mare was bred to a really good stud. So there must be something more behind it. Um, if I, if I see a pedigree where the females, all three of the females are by low-key studs, you know, or regional studs, then I generally will not dig in any further because I'll know, well, they hadn't produced anything to get them to something better. So, you know, at best this horse might belong in a, you know, whatever main claiming or or whatever, what have you. The main special weights generally, there has to be at least one mare within the first three generations who's by a top stud. It seems like anyway, I'm sure there are there are outliers to that.
0: Oh, for sure. And that's one of the beauties of horse racing too. I mean, you can have all these amazing bloodlines and there's one horse in the family that doesn't do anything or it could be the opposite end of the spectrum too. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen so often some bargain buys or former claiming horses that have gone on to be grade one winners too. So you never never really know what you're going to get
2: sometimes. The funny thing is, is I remember somebody saying, well, what should it matter about the siblings or, or pedigree at all? It's not like, you know, Michael Jordan was the star athlete but his his siblings weren't. And I wanted to say to this person, I, I don't remember, maybe I did. I wanted to say <laughs> back, well, they're not, you, humans aren't breeding to each other for athleticism. So <laughs> we are doing that. We are completely focused on that for these horses though. We are We are breeding for specific traits. Um, so that's, that, that obviously would be, you know, why pedigree is so important. another thing, and and this is an example, Christophe Clement had a horse the other day Mm -hmm. and there was no way I wasn't going to bet this horse because I'm looking for this now. This is a new, in my opinion, uh, cross that just seems very potent out there and it's Nyquist over anything AP Indy. So, Mm um, Yeah. Anything AP Indy basically. And I can't remember if this uh, particular first time starter was out of a Bernardini mare or or something similar, but it was a son of AP Indy anyway. And I was like, well, there, there's that little uh, new cross that seems to be, again, very potent. And sure enough, the horse uh, won easily. And uh, so it's fun when you kind of get ahead of that, because everybody's heard of key races when we're looking Mm -hmm. at charts and, and, you know, a lot of horses are running well out of that same race. But there are key crosses, and if you can get ahead of that before other people do, then I think you can stand to, to make some money. Because another great example of that cross, Nyquist, over um, an AP Indy Sun, is Vquest because she's out mm-hmm. of a mineshaft mare. And she is now, uh, after having won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, Eclipse champion two-year-old Philly.
0: Yeah, she was just sensational in 2020 and I'm looking forward to seeing her come back I think we might get to see her run here at Gulfstream which is exciting yeah Um, and she's kind of been the the flying the banner for her stallion Nyquist who's a son of Uncle Mo who Uncle Mo turned out to be a sensational sire and then now he's kind of a sire
2: of sires is that something you look for as well Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And that's the thing you often find with these horses who are so potent as a stud. They generally do mm-hmm. go on to be potent as siring uh, sires. And I mean, AP Indy, mm-hmm. potent. And then he produced all these great sons who are representing him. I mean, that's another thing. Bernardini himself, as a broodmare sire, it's just. It's unbelievable how mm-hmm. many uh, grade one winners and, and just winners in general that have been out of Bernardini mares. I mean, just off the top of my head real quick, Maxfield, who just, mm-hmm. hey, I'm so happy he won the mindset. <laughs> uh, Maxfield, undefeated Maxfield. He's an example of that. He's out of a Bernardini mare. We've seen Catholic boy Bernardini mare, Serengeti empress Bernardini mare. It just goes on. Um, and these horses just have so much talent. And it's exciting when you see that, because especially with this, you know, one of the things that you always would find before, and this is still going to be true. I mean, Northern Dancer is one of those horses. He was the kingmaker. So not only was he a great sire, but then he went on to be sire of sires. Uh, and I mean, Nijinsky, Danzig, the, that list goes on and on. That's insane. Uh, but he is so potent in our breed. That he's really a breed shaper. And AP feel, feels in that same conversation now. And we may very well see Uncle Mo as mm-hmm. reaching that level. I, I mean, he's, to me, already early in getting to this point
0: it's been amazing what he's been able to do not just his impressive performance on the racetrack the way he stamps his offspring too and you mentioned looking on paper and then wanting it to match up in the flesh are there certain traits that you're like oh wow okay this is one that looks like this stallion or or, or like this dam or something like that and that's a positive when you see those physical attributes passed on as well
2: the uncle mo's yeah absolutely i know definitely i mean just look at for example the fact that You know, Uncle Mo has stamped his get so much that now his get are stamping their get. So, like Nyquist, for example, if you've seen Bequist, she looks like a female version of her sire. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's really, uh, you know, breeders want to see that the traits are being passed down because obviously then the hope is, well, if they've got the physical characteristics, then they have that same Hopefully, you know, that's hopeful uh, talent uh, as well, running through those genetics. And, you know, I will say the one thing I was so surprised about because I had not seen Uncle Mo in person up until just recently. And I was struck by how big he is because this is a horse who's so well balanced and, you know, nice and round. And I had no idea he was that big in person. (laughs)
0: That is pretty cool. I I haven't gotten to see him now that he's as a stallion. I saw him on the racetrack, but he just is so fluid in his movement too, his physical mm-hmm. build, and you see that in the Phillies and in the colts as well, which I love. And and I think you can. He's a perfect example of that influence being passed down. Yeah. And I think you and I could could nerd out and geek out <laughs> about pedigrees forever. But you've you've also been on the side of, of breeding, and I wanted to ask you about that too because you've uh, taken your your knowledge into breeding some horses as well tell me a little bit about that endeavor and what that process is like is this this as we know is not an easy game
2: no I'm gonna yeah exactly I'm gonna preface this all by saying (laughs) saying I was not successful but it was Uh, (laughs) fine now you know we had as I mentioned before success breeding with my parents but Mm -hmm. on my own here's the thing People have to understand because I I think that people who are outside the sport in terms of ownership and breeding may not understand just how difficult it is even to get that foal on the ground, let alone into training, let alone into that first race. I was very blessed to have a mare who was of sound, you know, easy keeper. Got her in foal, um, very low, you know, uh, reasonable, moderate stallions, uh, and with the exception of Shackleford, uh, which that horse you know he he was a winner but just the one time then he got claimed from me but he was when he didn't show up after that thankfully they you know did the right thing and they you know retired him because you see obviously you know when a horse is struggling you don't want to see that Mm -hmm. so got him retired uh or you know thankfully and you know, it's just hard that, you know, you have successes and it gets exciting for that one full. Not only did we get him to the track, um, I think, I believe it was in his second start that he won and then he just kept running second multiple <laughs> times over and over again, which is fine because you're still bringing home that check, right? right. You're still paying, you know, the keep there and everything, but it's so expensive to own mm-hmm. on your own that, uh, you know, it. it's really now something that I feel like you have to have uh, a certain amount backing you up, or you have to be part of a syndicate uh, mm-hmm. because the, it just gets overwhelming. But in his case, um, also, all, I can thankfully say, you know, the horses are doing great in their retirement. So <laughs> he has actually won a bunch of ribbons as a show jo- jumper now. Fantastic. Yes, yes. And then his uh, sister, um, she is going to be a dress, she's been just basically living the life up in, I believe, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, with her family there. They love and adore her and they've been putting her into dressage training. And, um, you know, these horses, like we've been saying, they're just so versatile and they can do pretty much anything. And as I mentioned before, the, you know, the other ones have been retired um, into good families and doing good things. And it's, that's so important because, you know, when you take on the responsibility of breeding, you have to look past the wire. Mm-hmm. And make sure that that horse, you know, these are, these are living, you know, living beings. So you want to make sure that they have a soft spot.
0: I could not agree more. You know, that's a a huge passion for me.
2: Yes, absolutely. You and your mother, the filly just where you were talking about, you, you got her to her family for me.
0: And I have to say, where Sukari is, she is one lucky girl. She is so spoiled, know, which is nuts. amazing. And you wish that for all of them, yeah. you really do. Um, but I loved what you were talking about—the responsibility too. And it, it's such an investment
2: emotionally, financially, everything oh God, to create a horse. Yeah. No, I felt bad like when they ho- when, when the horse got claimed. I'm like, do you need any help? I can help, <laughs> blah, 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 like, you know, and, you know, I was just told he was retired and, um, so, and, and very reputable people. So I'm not cons- mm-hmm. you know, that's a thing you want to make sure to follow up. And, um, it's, it's just one of those things that like you're talking about, uh, you know, when they have new vocations, because they can exceed uh, pretty much anything. So long as you put the mm-hmm. time in.
0: Yeah, it, it is amazing to me to see horses transition into their new careers and be successful at that. Even some steeplechase jumpers, too, horses that were uh, running in flat races here in the U.S. So many different options for them, which I love. But um, you've dabbled in a little bit of everything. What is kind of that feeling like? Uh, you have the experience from being with your parents and, and watching these horses. Create kind of your dream and bring that to life. What is that like? Is it must almost kind of be like your children, kind of a pride sort of thing, right?
2: Oh, that's for sure. Um, when when you see a horse be able to do what you had hoped they would be able to accomplish, it it it, it feels. Um, it feels like you put the puzzle together, right? And now here's this beautiful picture mm-hmm. and you get to enjoy it because it's living mm-hmm. and breathing. Right. But you know, I've never, we, you know, I never personally as an owner reached the levels that of, of winning, you know, graded stakes or anything of, of that nature. And our horses that we'd bred in Michigan, like I said, you know, champions regionally, but we didn't own them, mm-hmm. you know, because we had sold them uh, and we're just the breeders, but it's still, you're still feeling that connection. I mean, it's, it the one, the, the horse, the heart, I mean, it's named after my cousin who's like a sister to me. And so to have that Mm -hmm. horse become so a talented, uh, and, and make a name for herself. And one of the coolest things I've ever seen regarding uh, a connection to a horse that we bred was I happened to Google her name and I came across this forum and somebody had mentioned her name as a horse that he remembered as having run at DRC, Detroit Racecourse, and he listed her name before listing listing Bo Genius, and I was like, "Dang, that's really <laughs> cool!" Because I mean, Bo Genius was, I mean, amazing. So it was really neat to 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 see her name again, um, listed as a horse that somebody remembered because she was so great. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's been it's been so wonderful. And then now it, it's served me well going forward to have this love for the pedigree and the passion and the. The I I like to think of it as a way of having sort of um, the 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 notes filed back Mm -hmm. in the brain to having to then enabling me to sort of be able to project, hopefully, you know, because a lot of the work I do now is trying to project what a horse is going to do. Right. Um, Prognosticate based on the paper uh, of what a progeny or offspring of a certain line will do. And it comes in handy with the day to day handicapping and it comes in handy when we go into the Kentucky Derby season
0: perfect segue there because oh. i wanted to pick your i wanted to pick your brain a little bit about some of the three-year-olds that we've seen and it's still early there's still plenty of time until we get to the kentucky derby and a lot can happen between now and then for sure and some horses may not make it to the kentucky derby starting gate they may go on to other triple crown races they may turn out to be sprinters down the road they may turn out to be grass anything can happen but um as you've been covering tampa bay downs regularly sam f davis happened last week we we had uh, the Risen Star in Fairgrounds this past weekend, the Holy Bull a couple weeks ago. What are some of the things that you have noticed so far about the three-year-old season, the three-year-old scene, and maybe some pedigree angles you're looking forward to or a little bit concerned about leading into the Derby?
2: Well, the one thing I will say is, I mean, these horses are are all looking, you know, really slick in the flesh. They they are good representatives of their um, genetic makeups. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'm really enjoying the black type. I mean, that's one of the things for sure that we're seeing. These horses are coming to the table. With the black type, you would expect, for example, Candyman Rocket, who did win the Sam F. Davis. I mean, there you've got a son of Candy Ride, who's a champion miler in Argentina, but as you know, won the Pacific Classic. Sired Gunrunner, who won, mm-hmm. you know, obviously routing and it was, you know, horse of the year champion. Um, but also, I will say that horse has one of these deep female families that you see come up time and time again. It is so prolific, and it's the female family of Althea and I always say this whenever Althea's name comes up, she was a freak, <laughs> freak, freak, freak. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Well, I don't know. I mean, here you've got a filly who was able to not only win the Del Mar debutante, but after she won that, uh, she wins the Del Mar fraternity, okay? So, and yeah. then, you know, later goes on win the Arkansas Derby over a field that included Gate Dancer. I mean, it, it wasn't crazy to see a fabulous filly like this for D. Wayne Lucas, but still, mm-hmm. I mean... To have a horse like that throw, you know, be able to throw down, she actually went in, she was actually favored in the Kentucky Derby. Now that didn't go well for her, unfortunately, but still that's how talented everybody Mm -hmm. felt she was. But that line is also responsible for the likes of Arch and Acoma and I mean if you want to talk derby, you know, it's also responsible. It's the same line if you go way back. Uh, to, to Betty Durr through Judy Ray. This is where I get geeky. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you get the likes of it also being responsible for Iron Liege, for being responsible for California Chrome. Uh, and But then you also get like really like freaky game fillies like Cafefe. She's part of the family. So uh, a really great pedigree there. The other thing I will say, I haven't seen a horse yet that I love more than Essential Quality. Our mm-hmm. TBG Breeders' Cup Juvenile Presented by the Thoroughbred Africa Alliance winner. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's still number one for me, uh, just based on everything. Because, uh, you know, Brad Cox, after the Claiborne fraternity win, he was telling me that uh, Luis Saez was like, gosh, he doesn't even know what he's doing out there. So, you know, then you have to think, well, what is going to be there once he puts it all together? Yeah. And so that's really exciting, right? And then he's got that pedigree backing him up. You're by Tap It. And so we know distance should not be an issue. I mean, Tappet's already sired like three Belmont winners. I might be mm-hmm. missing one. I'm not sure. The first being Tonalist. And then, you know, and then also, I mean, don't forget everybody, because Tappet's become such a prolific sire himself. He's by Pulpit. who's by AP Indy. So there's that. Remember mm-hmm. I was saying about AP mm-hmm. Indy, that empiric sire. Um But that's the thing. Like, you've got that up top. And then the bottom side, mom is by elusive quality. And she's a half sister to folklore, who won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies in 2005 and was Eclipse Champion. And folklore, as a broodmare, she's been successful. She's the granddam of uh, Japan's Triple Crown winner, Contrail. So it's just this really great pedigree. And here you have this horse who's got loads of talent and he looks I mean you probably noticed this. I mean, mm-hmm. you're on horses all the time. He looks happy when he's running. He just kind of has
0: that movement. He you're just you're enthralled by him. Yeah. I mean, he is a stunning, stunning animal and He's been amazing so far. I I think he's
2: really, really interesting and exciting. No, I definitely do. I mean, is he beatable? Sure. Any horse is beatable. Uh, You know, there have only been two horses to have ever gone on from winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile to winning the Kentucky Derby, and that is Street Sense and Nyquist. Mm -hmm. That's it. But I do think this horse potentially could be the third. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Uh, Brad Cox obviously has another nice one in Mandalown. Or, you know, I might be saying that name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to judge you on <laughs> it. Mandaloon, Man- Mandal- I you know what? You know, these names sometimes, Mandalaun, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> they make it difficult. They, they do. Know. They do. But, you know, the funny thing is here you've got another horse because remember this past uh, derby was won by Authentic, by Into Mischief. Well, mm-hmm. here you got another son of Intimischief. But then on the bottom side, I mean, you've got a Belmont winner because mom's uh, by Empire Maker. So you know, this is the thing. I, I feel like you, you see these pedigrees and it gets you excited, but um, all, you know, it's ultimately always going to come down to is a horse because a horse can overcome a lot. For example, you know, I know there were some people who questioned authentic, right. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to win the Derby because a lot of times when we think into mischief, we think milers or, you know, I think Into Mischief is just so versatile that yeah you can get it you can get that classic horse and he did get that get that classic horse in this regard and um it's, it there's something to to the efficiency that a horse can throw and the talent which they endow to their offspring there's just something that I feel now is just something you can't rate, you can't qualify, quantify, any of it. It's either there or not. And Intimistrius is just one of those stallions who's throwing tremendous talent in athleticism and and breathing. I mean, just the fact to watch Authentic not only win the Classic, but do it gate to wire. Mm
0: Mm-hmm
2: was I was standing there. I still remember with, with Matt Carruthers, I'm going, wow, 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 out loud, like <laughs> at the top of my lungs, oh, wow, 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 as he was crossing the wire because I certainly didn't expect that. That was a tough field. You had maximum security in there, Tom Sata, improbable, t- tis the law, I mean, and he just won like it was, like he was having a fun day out at the races. <laughs> he has
0: been a- amazing and I think kind of a a real... A horse that took Into Mischief, I think, to the next level, because I think a lot of people already liked Into Mischief, but there was kind of that that thought that maybe he couldn't get the distance. And, and I've always said, I mean, I like them on the turf too. I like them oh, sprinting yeah. on the so turf. Worthwhile. I mean, doing anything, absolutely. And the fact that a horse like Authentic was able to win the Derby and the Breeders' Cup Classic in the manner that you did, mm-hmm. I, I feel like oftentimes it could just kind of take one horse, and now I think all of a sudden you're going to see all these into mischiefs <laughs> on the Derby trail. Okay, we've got a Derby horse now. We've got an into mischief.
2: Well, the thing is, also, I think people need to, you know, remember into mischief. His half sister is Beholder, you know, Beholder Mm -hmm. won the Pacific Classic. She won the Distaff twice. She's one of only four horses to have ever done that. Um, You know, she's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. That Mm -hmm. damn Leslie's lady, their mom, who also (laughs) who also produced Mendelssohn. She Mm -hmm. is a modern day blue hen there's just something again that you just you either have it or you don't that is just genetic gold that will course through the veins of horses out of these blue hen mares and she's she has put that out there uh loud and clear um and and it's really really exciting
0: That is one of the most incredible families, I I think, on the grounds right now and in our generation of horse racing. And I would love, Ren, to have you on again, maybe before the Kentucky Derby, because... This to me, I I love talking horses like this with you. Tremendous stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time um, to do the show. And and I really hope that people follow you, follow your picks, your insight, because it's great stuff. And I think you can learn so much, not just about handicapping, but the history of the game too, like you
2: mentioned. Oh, thank you so much.
0: That will do it for another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. Thank you to everybody that has listened and made the first five episodes possible and special and fun. Please share. Reach out to me on social media with ideas, questions, whatever you have. Here's to the next five episodes and a whole lot more after that, too. Thank you to my guests on today's episode of In the Ring, as always. We'll see you next time.